Genesis chapter 3 in your Bibles. Let's read some verses together before we pray. Genesis 3, I'm so glad you're being faithful to this series um, for a lot of reasons. But it's, it's building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And verse 24, the last verse of chapter 3 says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Let's pray. Father, please help us again tonight as we look at your word and open our hearts to it, please. We thank you tonight, Father. We thank you for bringing us to this place as an assembly, your people called out, bringing us here in safety and comfort, but now we know the responsibility we have of open our hearts to your word. We pray for our young people who are now sitting in a service up in Pensacola listening to the word of God and all the chaperones, Lord, be with them and speak to them, please, in Jesus' name, amen. At the very outset of this series, we noted how that the book of Genesis gives the foundation of really everything. Everything, of course, in Scripture, everything else in Scripture going forward, but also everything else in nature and in life, in experience, in understanding. In fact, you can take just two common elements in these very opening chapters, something as common as a tree, something as common as the face, the countenance, and just notice how often the Bible speaks about and references simple things like that and then builds upon that throughout the Bible. For example, we start with the tree. Chapter 3, verse 1, the last line says, Yet God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Verse 2, the last line, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst. Verse 6, you'll notice, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, food. And the last part of it says, the fruit there are the fruit of that same tree. The last line of verse 7 says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Fig leaves, obviously, come from fig trees, which brings us another verse about trees, verse 8. You'll notice the last line says, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. I don't suppose there's anything tonight in all of God's creation more beautiful, more needful, certainly more resourceful than a tree. We've often quoted the famous poet, Joyce Kilmer. He was killed in the First World War, but not before he penned those words, I think that I shall never see. A poem, lovely as a tree. A tree that looks to God all day, lifts his leafy arms to pray. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree, and that's true. All of the trees are made by God. You may have noted in God's revelation of his great story of redemption begins in Genesis with the tree. It's called the tree of life, and then you may have noticed it ends in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and the very same tree of life is there. Two trees. 
And of course, in between those two references to the tree of life, you have in the Bible the whole of God's revelation, the entire story of God's redemption of man. And in this entire story, it's almost all told in the context of trees. We just read in verse 8 that Adam and Eve hid behind a tree. First, as we noted earlier, they tried to hide behind the leaves of a tree. That certainly wasn't sufficient, so now they're hiding amongst the trees. And the reason for that is that Adam tried to steal from a tree. Look at chapter 2, verse 16 again. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. And the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. This is the first time that good and evil are mentioned in the Bible. It certainly won't be the last. Even religion, as we're going to see in just a moment, can also be evil. Going forward in Scripture, you will see another tree. You'll see all kinds of trees in the biblical narrative of redemption. Nathaniel, the Bible says, was sitting under a sycamore tree when the Lord Jesus came and revealed himself. And it was at that moment he said, you're the son of the living God. That was a tree. Later you see Zacchaeus. He's up a tree. This businessman, like a little child, he's running and he's climbing a tree. It's, that's the sycamore tree, rather. And the other one was the fig tree. And the Lord Jesus looked up and he called him by name, again revealing his deity. Soon we see the same Lord Jesus on a tree. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness. By Christ Jesus. George McLeod of Scotland once wrote these words. He said, The Lord Christ... I won't do that. I'm just... Joan would love it. Right, Joan? You like that? I wasn't crucified in a cathedral. No, I'll just read it in English. He wasn't crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a tree between two thieves. There on the city's garbage heap at a crossroads, so cosmopolitan, they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. There at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble, that is where he died, and that is what he died for, the Son of God on a tree. So that the very one who made the trees that we studied in our very first study here on the foundations, who made the trees with his own word, is the one who came down to this earth to be crucified on the very wood that he created. It's Adam behind a tree. Nathaniel under a tree. Zacchaeus up a tree. The Lord Jesus on a tree, and as we just noted in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, when all the judgments are over, it says in Revelation 22:2, in the midst of the street and on either side of the river was there the tree of life. Wow, what a reminder that the redemptive plan of God, the reason you're even here tonight, ends in eternity where it began with the tree of life. And this time, because of what Jesus did hanging on that tree, nobody's going to ever hide from God anymore. Not from up there. Trees? Just trees. Just trees noted in the very beginning here and so prominent in the book of Genesis. But what about that other common thing I mentioned in the same three chapters and four? Faces. Look at Genesis 4. And I hope you'll hear this very carefully tonight. 
Notice how often, just like it's over and over and over again, we mentioned trees, right? God does. How often the countenance and the face is mentioned in Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 5, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And we're going to explain all this in a moment. And Cain was very raw, they're very angry, and his countenance, his face, fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why, this is God speaking, is thy countenance. He's talking about his face. Why is thy countenance fallen? Verse 14, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face, God, thy face shall I be hid. Back in chapter 3, you'll notice in verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread. In the sweat of thy face, as a tiller of the ground, that is precisely the face of sweat that Cain would have had when his countenance fell. Earlier in this story, we find that Adam, the Bible says, hid his face from the face of God because he said, I was afraid for what I've done. In Cain's situation, it wasn't fear that caused his countenance to fall. It was anger. Verse 5, Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Now, folks, I don't know if there's a narrative in all of Scripture that tells us more about mankind addressing all of man's questions and problems than does the story of Cain and Abel. And the context is given of man's face. For example, you'll notice that the face of man reveals the heart of man. In chapter 4 and verse 5, look at it again. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. That's his heart. But because he was very wroth in his heart, it says his countenance fell. Now look up here. To understand what really is happening in the text, you have to remember how we got here, right? Genesis, as we will continue to say over and over again, is the foundation to all of Scripture. And thus, it is the foundation to all civilization. You really want to know why, for example, our nation is so self-destructive right now? All you have to do is read Genesis. Or go back and listen to our CDs on this series. Because here you have... As we noted earlier, the five foundational fundamental distinctions that are in the Bible, given in the Bible, we recently mentioned them. The difference between creation and creator, that's here, it's distinct, and Satan hates it. The difference between man and woman, the difference between humans and animals, that's here. The difference between good and evil, and then now we've come to the difference between religion and salvation. All of these are first principles that God lays out in his first book. So let's follow it, all right? This is so important. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Here we are, beloved, at the very beginning again. This time it is the very foundation of all human relationships. And here we see that according to God, it's not good that man should be alone. This was three studies ago. It is not God's design for man to be alone. However, challenging and marring and warring against the need for family, for friendships, opposing and hindering all human relationships from the very beginning are two things. One is rebellion, and the second one is religion. Now, wait a minute. 
Rebellion I'm talking about meaning sin, the sin nature, and religion meaning mankind's answer to sin. Man's answer to sin and the sin nature. Those two things are the greatest enemies of all human relationships. You see, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Religion and rebellion. Well, the rebellion part is pretty obvious, right? When sin entered through man's disobedience, chapter 2, verse 25 says that they were not ashamed. That wasn't true anymore. Not anymore. What was true is chapter 3, verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They, their eyes were open, and now they are afraid and ashamed. So with sin comes distrust. With sin comes shame. And for the first time, fear. And so obviously those things bring a wedge in all human relationships, and of course, our relationship with God. So think about this. In Genesis chapter 4, you have four people. You have a family that happens to be the entire world. In a spiritual sense, it's the entire church. In other words, this one family is everything in the world. We know from Scripture that Adam and Eve will eventually have many sons and many daughters. But here again, you have the entire world in one family, and folks, that one family tells us all you need to know about the 7.8 billion people that are in the planet right now. Chapter 4, verse 2. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, maybe it's coincidental that Cain is aligned with a curse. He's a tiller of the ground. Maybe, but what, it's, what they do next is not a coincidence. Verse 3, and in the process of time... It came to pass that Cain brought up the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. That little phrase there, in the process of time, is obviously very critical to this entire story. And I'll tell you why. It's a familiar expression in the Bible. And it's an expression in the Bible that literally means at the appointed time. Or even more accurately, at the end of a time, like at the end of a week or the end of a day or the end of a month. And so in the process of time, at an appointed time, perhaps the Sabbath day, we don't know. What we do know is that Cain and Abel understood that at a certain time, that is on a certain day, they were to bring a specific offering to the Lord. Pastor, how do you know? How do you know it was specific? Well, let's keep reading. Let's go back to verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. By the way, you'll notice that Cain, beloved, is not an atheist. You ever notice the Ten Commandments does not forbid atheism? I'm not worried about atheism or atheists. What the Bible concerns itself with is idolatry, false religion, and false truth, Satan. In fact, Cain is a religious man. He's a religious man who comes to the Lord with the offering of his own labors. Verse 4, and Abel. He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. You know, it's very interesting. Abel knew to bring unto God the first fruits. And it says among the best of the first fruits to God. Why? 
You know, we know from Scripture later that you would bring a lamb without blemish, without spot, without disease, and no broken bones. This would be much later in the law of God. There's a reason for that, verse 4 again. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, angry, and his countenance fell. Uh Uh-oh. Now, we have a problem. And it is a problem that forces a very important question. Why? Why did God accept Abel's offering and then reject Cain's offering? You know, when I first became a Christian, I was 12 years of age. My dad was pretty skeptical. Big Air Force guy came home, told him I got saved. A little eye roll, you'll get over it. And as time went on, and I prayed for his salvation, and he wouldn't come to church, of course. He sometimes would throw out these little comments, these little remarks to me. But one day, years later, he asked me his first sincere Bible question. He said, Jimmy, I got a question I've been wondering. Why did God accept Abel, the herdsman, but not accept Cain, the farmer? I come from a family of farmers, and he thought, what's wrong with being a farmer? Boy, you talk about an open door. He just opened the door to his heart and said, hey, why is that in the Bible? And so I explained it. We're going to look at it in a moment. And after I explained it, he said, that actually makes sense. And about six months later, he called me and got saved, and I baptized him up in Stewart, Florida. If anyone gets off to thinking, that's not fair. That's how shallow people read the Bible. That's how people who who are like Cain, angry people. That's not fair. Cain did his best. He was sincere. And he did all that he could. He didn't know better, whatever. Before anyone assumes that this is just a matter of fruit and vegetables versus meat, which again is how shallow internet theologians look at things like this, think carefully about all that's happened. And especially, beloved, about what occurs next. I remind you that they apparently already had some enlightenment, some instruction about when to bring the offering in the process of time. And obviously that presupposes that they must have been taught something about the offering itself. After all, these are grown boys. They're actually grown men who've lived long enough to see those flaming swords outside of Eden so that nobody could go back in. And you know they wanted to go as boys. Why can't we go in there? You always want to go to where you're not allowed to go. And so they would explain. Mommy, Daddy, why can't we go in there? Teenagers, yo, what's up? Well, Cain and Abel, that's a long story. Why do we have to kill an animal to clothe ourselves? Well, that's a long story. Look at verse 5. But Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why? Why art thou wroth or angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou 
doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? In other words, God is being gracious to Cain and simply reminding him that there is a right way. Don't be angry because there is a right way. God is opening the door for him. There is God's way to be accepted by God. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find these familiar words. I'm going to put them on the screen. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. What? God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. In other words, his actions speak to us today. Now, wait a minute. Abel had faith? If Abel had faith, where did he get the faith? Well, the same Hebrew writer tells us, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the words of God. God had to tell them. Somewhere along the line, Abel trusted the word and the words of God. That's where faith comes from. So somewhere, he must have told them what kind, them what kind of an offering to bring. It had to be an offering according to God's word. An offering that expressed faith in a coming Savior. I remind you of Genesis 3 and verse 15. God already promised Eve that one of her seed one day would come and be bruised by Satan, but in so doing, he would destroy sin and death. That's a Jesus. And then, you know, we studied this. God killed an animal and he made coats of skin to cover their shame. A blood sacrifice. Now, granted, it's not John 3.16. It's not the book of Romans. But it is all that God wanted these sinners to put their faith in, to be accepted. And that is exactly what Abel did. And that is exactly what Cain refused to do. It is exactly what Cain did not do. And you know, honestly, it's easy to see why Cain would be offended at God's word, at God's accepted offering. Humanly speaking, here's Abel and he's bringing forth an innocent lamb and the best one. He has to kill it. And he brings forth this blood sacrifice. Think about that for a moment. That's hideous. That would be offensive to a man like Cain. So the Bible says that Cain was angry. He was so wroth, his countenance fell. You could see the rebellion in his face. His face revealed his heart. But here's something else, and I want every Christian believer, follower of Christ in this room or watching where you are to hear this part very carefully. The face of man also reveals the hatred of man. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. first murder didn't take all that long but why why did Cain kill his own brother just because God accepted the offering of the blood sacrifice what made him so angry the Lord Jesus has something to say about this in Matthew 23 I want you to see these familiar verses verse 29 
Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Verse 31. Wherefore, be ye witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Let me stop here for a minute. The Lord Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious group of the day, reminded them of the prophets who were martyred because they preached the truth of God. Their blood was shed. They were put to death because they trusted the word of God and preached the word of God. Well, now verse 34. Look at it. Jesus said, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues. And that's your religious buildings. And persecute them from city to city. Saul would do that. Upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Abel was a martyr? Jesus is listing all of these martyrs, Zacharias slain in the temple. And he says the first one, the first martyr of the faith was a man by the name of Abel in a long list of prophets who were killed for their faith. Who killed them? Jesus tells us who killed all of them. Beloved, they were killed by the same crowd as the religious Pharisees that he's giving these illustrations to in the first place. They were killed by the same people who killed Abel. Cain, a religious, works-based man who despised faith in the blood sacrifice. That has never changed since that very first murder. This man who refused to put his faith in God's way, God's plan, faith in some other sacrifice, not the work of his hands, committed the first murder. So, it is not an accident. You love history, I love history, I study history, all history. It is not an accident that throughout human history, there are those, Jude calls them, quote, in the way of Cain. Jude wrote his book on apostasy. Those who, quote, in the way of Cain, those in the world religious system who have always persecuted, the works religious crowd has always persecuted the faith crowd. First John, look up on the screen. Chapter 3, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, that means of Satan, and slew his brother. And wherefore he slew him? Why did he slew him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Hate you for what? For doing, no, for your faith. For, for your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone as the way of salvation. Let me read something to you I came across some time ago, written at the turn of the century, written by the brilliant professor Monier Williams. He said this, In the discharge of my duties as professor of Sanskrit, a brilliant man, I devoted as much time as any man living to the study of the sacred books of the East, and I found the one key, the one diaspayas, the diapason, so to speak, the musical term, so to speak, of all these books. 
whether it be the Vedas of the Brahmins, the Bananas of the Siva and the Vishnu or the Quran of the Muhammads, the Zenavestas of the Parsis or the Tripitaka of the Buddhists, the one refrain through all is salvation by works. They all say that salvation must be purchased, must be bought with a price, and that the sole price, the sole purchase money must be our own work and deservings. Okay? The books of the East. The religions of the East. Yes. And you can add to them, beloved, all of the man-made religions of the West. Go back to the persecutions, the inquisitions, our forefathers, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, burned at the stake, drowned in rivers, actually millions. You go back to the man-made religions of the West that opposed and martyred all of those in the way of faith, simple faith. So that folks in Cain and Abel, you have the entire world what Jesus called two roads, the broad road to destruction, that's salvation by works, and the narrow road that leads to everlasting life, that's salvation by faith in Jesus alone. So many religions, Pastor, so many religions. No, there's Cain and Abel. Jesus said there's only two. You can take all the other religions and all of them and it is, that's too easy, that's too simple, that offends me, that's the cross. It is not an accident that never in human history, think about this for a moment, do you know that never, ever in human history do your forefathers in the faith, never did the people on the narrow road of trusting in Jesus alone, never did they persecute, hate, or murder the people on the broad road. Never. Jesus wasn't a hater. Paul wasn't a hater after he got saved. He was before he got saved. John wasn't a hater. Livingston wasn't a hater. John Bunyan wasn't a hater. Moody wasn't a hater. Jim Elliott wasn't a hater. None of them coerced someone else into confession. It is not anywhere in the heritage of our faith that we coerce people threaten them with their lives that they must become a Christian or die. I was a preacher in the 1980s, a young preacher. And I can tell you right now, Jerry Falwell was not a hater. The real haters were those who tried to destroy him because of his love for God and his, his faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can list on and on and on. Our Lord told his disciples, you'll recall, don't be dismayed and don't be surprised that they will hate you. But Jesus said they hated me before they hated you, and the only reason they even hate you is because of me. We know tonight, without any doubt, regardless of what the media, what Hollywood, what politicians or judges or anybody says, people that trust and follow Jesus are not haters. But the children of Cain are. They're the ones that Satan can use because they're still blinded. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I, I've often wondered, I wonder what they talked about. Because, you know, whatever it was, Abel didn't soothe Cain with his words. He didn't talk him off the ledge. Apparently, he just made him angrier, so angry that he picked up a rock. Hateful, murder in the first degree. We are told in the New Testament 
It was because, we just read it, it was because Cain hated Abel's faith. See, Pastor, just because of a difference between grain and lamb, was it the offering, the entirety of their division? Oh, not at all. Grain offerings actually became a part of the law. It wasn't because it was grain and oats or whatever. It's far more than that. Notice how carefully the Holy Spirit actually words it. Look at verse 4 again. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But notice the wording. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. You see, it's not the offering that made the difference between religion and salvation. It says it was respect unto Abel in his offering, not respect unto Cain in his offering. So that always God puts the name, if you will, God puts the face, the person, and his heart first. By faith, Abel offered. That's what God saw. Faith in his word. And when God saw more than the offering, the heart of Abel, the Bible says he was righteous. Well, we know he wasn't perfect. He was a sinner. But he obtained righteousness. Abel believed what God said about God's offering. You know, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're just a picture. All of them. All of the offerings and the sacrifices were a shadow of the true Lamb of God. So that Cain, who typifies all man-made religion, comes up with a purely human scheme for being accepted by God. Now, wait a minute. Follow this carefully. It's a beautiful scheme. It looks good. It's an impressive scheme. It certainly tends to glorify Cain because he worked in that field hard. He's got a green thumb. He will win the blue ribbon at the county fair. This thing he brings in crops, flowers, you can be sure it was a beautiful offering and somewhat costly. It took effort. It took persistence and thought. But you see, folks, scepters and incense and fancy robes and candles and flowers and liturgy and stained glass and ornate expensive Offer, uh, altars made out of the rarest wood and temples and cathedrals and abbeys. All of that stuff glorifies man. It all glorifies man. But the cross, the blood, the real remedy for the fall, that only glorifies God. We're only in chapter 4 of Genesis. And already we can see that the foundations illuminate the entire future path of God's revelation. Which again is precisely why Satan hates this book. Hates Genesis. Genesis says there's a distinction between man and woman. Satan will attack that. Relentlessly. No, there's not. No, there doesn't have to be. Genesis says there's a distinction between man and animals. Satan will attack that. He will use science to attack it if necessary. Genesis says there's a distinction between creator and creation. Bring on evolution. Attack it relentlessly from the time a little child is young. 
There's a distinction between religion and salvation. Attacked. Attack salvation by faith over and over and over again. Threaten people with their lives. Okay. But beloved for us, let us remain people of the book. Believers in the word of God and believers in the God of the word. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that your book, your word is a miracle of 66 books over centuries and centuries and so perfectly tied together because they reveal your, your plan of redemption. And I pray, Father, that we will recognize and we will even embrace the fact that just by having simple faith in Jesus alone will bring condemnation and rejection. Help us not to try to rectify that or mollify it by changing your word, but rather to stand on your word so that others may be saved. Bless the fellowship now of your people, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.